Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What the f*** is our show called again? <laughs> Time to relax. You know what that means. Turn on that radio and back in. Incoming message from the big giant head. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Tonight's program is pre-recorded. I, however, am live now. By the powers vested in me, by the Federal Communications Commission, I command you to get on the microphone in a serious manner and continue this broadcast. Now we are ready to begin. Open your book and we will start the story. Hey guys, what's going on? You are listening to This Week in Geek and Nerd to the Third Powers, The B-Sides. That's right, the show that comes on approximately once a month, much like a holiday special that you can't quite remember, but you're going to celebrate anyway, because hey, it's a day off school, work, or whatever. I'm your one of your hosts today. I'm Mike the Birdman, joining us all the way from jolly old fucking England. <laughs> Hello, I'm Skyblaze. That's right. I'm coming in here, bringing the energy, bringing the heat, because, uh, I don't know, I've probably had too many G-Fuels already. Use code FUYA for, I don't know, some percentage off. Usually about 10, 10%. She's my friend, and I like her. Go, 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 FUYA. Anyway, so, in this month's episode of The B-Side, we were talking be- before the show, and the original plan in our pilot episode was to do these about twice a month. However, with the unbelievable amount of crap um, I'm doing, if you follow my Twitter, at Birdman Dodd, um, I'm involved in so much stuff that it's a little much. But thankfully, uh, due to Skyblaze and her schedule and my schedules, we can definitely align but once a month. But that gives us an opportunity to bring something a little bit more interesting to you. More like the old Twig topic shows of old, but very little research, but a lot of opinion and a lot of experience will come out in this episode. So I guess to kind of start things off, let's uh, see what's been going on with you, Skyblades. It's been about a month since I've talked with you, and what the fuck is up? Uh, well, run up to Christmas, so I've been quite a bit of work I've been doing. Because um, uh, for those who don't know, I work as a games journalist, so... As we get closer to Christmas, more and more work starts piling up. Yeah. Oh, God, don't I know that. I just yeah. got an email from one of the big PR companies that hadn't talked with us in a really long time. And then this week, hey, here's every game we've ever put out this year. So, okay, that's a lot of, that's a lot. Um, so after this podcast, I literally have to jump into another game review because as you mentioned, holiday gift guides are coming up. So that's Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff to consider 
And if you might have missed when the game came out in June or July or even February or something like of this year, you have to get a feel for it. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to roll credits on everything, but you still have to put in your due kind of diligence. I'll tell you what, though. I did manage to pick up a copy of um, Persona Q2, uh, New Cinema Labyrinth on Mm -hmm. the 3DS uh, for a non-absurd price. How much? Um, £45. Not bad. I remember seeing that in my local Walmarts once upon a time, and it just never clicked with me because I wasn't into Persona yet. Kicking myself in the ass now. Yeah, I um, I roll credits on Persona Strikers. Um, good game. That's, that's, it's really good. Uh, and so I was like, I need I need more Persona. What's what's <laughs> available? Um, I've already got Persona Four on Steam. Persona 3 is like gold dust. So, hmm, Persona Q2. Yes, that'll do nicely. Thank you very much. I've got the Persona dancing games, but I haven't played any of them. I bought them when they were on sale, like, last year or something. And I got all three for, like, I think it was, like, 20 bucks. So, I really want to play Persona 5 dancing in Starlight. I just wish they had, like, a a Kasumi character, and maybe they do. Hell, I... Honestly, I would pay, if they told me they were going to gonna do Persona 5 Strikers Royal like they did, and there's like just having Kasumi as a new playable character and just inserting her in certain scenes. And as long as she was like, you could do something with her, maybe like a new dungeon or a new boss, I'd pay for that. <laughs> I'd pay for that all day. Um, because uh, Strikers and Royal were developed in parallel, so... Yeah, like, yeah. there's got to be a way to do it. I mean, because that's a game I want to play again. Like, I had a stupidly good time with it, although when I started playing it back in February, that's when my gallbladder decided, hey, I'm going to murder you. And then my liver was like, hey, can I get in on the fun? So I didn't beat the game I, until, yeah, like, July. I've, I've, I've been through this myself, and yeah, it's pretty fucking miserable. Yeah, so gaming is wonderful. I I actually just finally beat, as of this recording, last night I rolled credits on Mass Effect uh, Legendary Edition. I did the entire trilogy as Femme Shep. I romanced Liara for the first time as a a female character, and that was really nice. That was actually kind of beautiful. Um, And if you follow my Twitter, I take a lot of screenshots. Um... Man, I wonder if there's a gig somewhere out there to play games and capture screenshots for articles or for pictures. Like, I wouldn't want to capture video footage because let me tell you right now, there's a reason I don't do video other than the fact I've got a face for friggin' radio. Um, I hate video editing. My God, when I was in college like a million years ago, that was the bane of my existence. Ask me to edit audio all day. I'll take out the lowest frequencies you can asked me to do when it comes to the video editing i'd rather put my head into a meat slicer oh i hate it so much but we have rambled on long enough we have so allow me to introduce you to this month's b-side selection and this month's b-side selection which you've probably found from a guy on the street corner selling you cassette tapes in 2021 but this cassette tape happens to come from an era and a time and place that is very special and very relevant to this time of year. We're going to be talking about tabletop role-playing games. (gasps) Big surprise, but there's a twist. There's always a twist. We're going to talk about 
horror role-playing games or scary role-playing games because me and Skyblaze, we've been around the block. I've been playing since 1992, um, various different systems. And during that time, I've encountered a lot of different horror-type games. And it's not something a lot of people get a chance to talk about that isn't like, you know, Call of Cthulhu, though that will most certainly come up in this conversation. There are others and some experiences that are both good and bad with them. So that's what we're going to kind of talk about today, our kind of experiences with uh, tabletop role-playing games that are scary. I'm even going to mention some LARP stories in here because, woo. Um, so I guess who wants to go first here, Skyblaze, me or you? Um, I, I, I think you should go first. I think you should have a, a, a little intro to, to get the feel of things. Okay, cool. So um, as most of you know, tabletop role-playing games, there's a wide variety of different ones. Although the most popular is most often going to be Dungeons and Dragons, which is currently in its fifth edition. And even this year did release some scary content, mostly in the form of Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, which I highly recommend, by the way. And then last year, there was the Curse of Strahd box set, which came out in a coffin-shaped um, container, which was about 100 bucks, and I think it's pretty easily available on like Amazon and places like that. But Ravenloft is the default, quote-unquote, scary gothic horror setting for D&D. And uh, uh, role players in the 80s didn't have a whole lot of choice for horror role-playing that I'm aware of. They had D&D and Ravenloft. You had Call of Cthulhu in the early 80s. I want to say 81 is when the first edition came out. And then later on, moving into the 90s, we would get like Vampire the Masquerade, mm. Werewolf the Apocalypse, Hunter the Reckon, Demon the Fallen, Wraith the Oblivion. Oh, and, on and on and on and on and on. Yeah, and on and on and on. There's like a million things, but that was one of the first examples of a really well-constructed, uh, interconnected kind of universe. Um, but yeah, like, and you could introduce scary elements into your games. Like one of the earliest source books that I ever got my hands on in the 1990s is I was playing uh, GURPS at the time, which is oh, done by wow. Steve yeah so uh steve jackson games this was the third edition i think i was playing um and gurp stands for generic universal role-playing system and they had a book that came out and i thought the cover art was fantastic but it was the pitch that caught me and it was called cthulhu punk and cthulhu <laughs> punk took their cyber world setting which was a separate source book that at one point was seized by the department of defense in the united states because they thought it was like a hacking manual no it really wasn't um and it crossed it with the worlds of hp lovecraft and you can just imagine all the insanity you can get into there like sure i've got a rail gun that can fire a projectile at nearly the speed of light uh, what's that going to do against Yogg-Sagoth or some shit like that? <laughs> Here's the answer. Not a lot. But <laughs> the idea behind cyberpunk is it's loud, it's chrome, it's violent. And, you know, just because you have a, I think there's a piece of gear in cyberpunk called the Chain Ripper, just because you can wield that against, you know, a Shogoth, it doesn't mean you're going to win. So that kind of got me into horror kind of role-playing. And I was like, that's really fascinating. And then you could adapt that to another game, like say Shadowrun, 
which came out in the 80s and has had multiple um, editions since and kind of blend magic and technology. So imagine Lord of the Rings if there were cybernetics in it uh, sort of thing. High magic and high tech would be a good way to uh, think about it. And I started falling into another camp because the book caught my attention, but they also gave away this little mini novel. It was like an, it was like a uh, excerpt at my local game store and it was for vampire, the masquerade. So vampire, the masquerade, I remember getting for Christmas and I want to say 1996 or 1997. I was in high school. I remember that I was in grades nine or 10. And it was the kind of emerald green cover with the rose on it. Mm. And I kind of got into it. I'm thinking, wow, this is really fascinating. And my first clan source book, which I still have, was Clan Nosferatu. And the main reason I got it, because, well, it was the only source book available at my store at the time. But it was one of the most interesting works of fiction that I'd ever read because I never thought of the Nosferatu vampire as being anything more than that weird silent film that we've all seen that clip from a thousand times. Mm -hmm. And I started learning about the interconnection of the masquerade, the different clans, like the Ventru, the Malkavians, the Bruja. And there was even a short lived television show in the, 1990s oh, called kindred kindred the embraced yeah I remember exactly that. which was fantastic in some ways really lame in others but it showed promise so i Until got one of the lead actors died in i think a car crash yeah a car crash or a motorcycle accident yeah. yeah the guy that played julian moon so that's unfortunate i think the show ended after nine episodes because of that yeah. though they did intend to go longer and then i found out there was like card games based on vampire there were more games set in the same universe. Again, I'd never seen this because at that time, my knowledge of like D and D was remarkably little. I knew of Ravenloft. I knew of dark sun, but because where I was geographically importing these books was ludicrously expensive. Mm. eBay was in its infancy. So ordering them wasn't exactly easy either. So if I ever came across a Ravenloft source book, it would be at a used bookstore and they didn't know what they had. So I started getting into this and I started seeing Vampire the Masquerade card games. I saw Werewolf the Apocalypse. And then the World of Darkness, which is what it was called by White Wolf Publishing, did this event and I went in whole hog. And it was called The Time of Judgment. Oh, yeah. And the Time of Judgment, for those of you that don't know, was a classic world-ending event. Kind of like how in old-school D&D, before 3rd Edition came out, there was an adventure written called The Apocalypse Stone. And you might recall, a lot of this is probably going to sound familiar, because another YouTuber, once upon a time, covered very, very similar topics. But that's where I've gained some of my research from. So just so you people are fully aware, I am aware I am parroting some words. But at the same time... My research led me to Time of Judgment way before I met this person. Um, And I was interested because what the Time of Judgment was, I'd never seen a game world or game line end. And basically in each of the main games from White Wolf, there were events that would happen 
that would lead to the end of that particular game world or the world as a whole. And there was no canonical ending to the world. It was up to you to pick it. And for Vampire the Masquerade, the event was called Guiana, I think, or Guiana. Mm -hmm. And that is where all the ancient vampires who are like second or third generation. So the Methuselahs of the vampire world woke up and are now going to devour their kin and basically go on a blood rage to kill everything. Whereas in other games, the apocalypse for werewolf and the guru nations, you know, they would find out there's this creature called there's the worm and the weaver. I think I'm leaving one out Gaia or something. And basically certain events would trigger in their world that would lead to apocalypse like maybe the worms become too powerful the black spiral dancers are out of control or um the weaver has gone mad truly and now technology basically like the borg and cybernetics have gone out of control like there could be any number of different ecological disasters or maybe the werewolves are holding people captive to breed them to make sure people survive um but the game line that really caught my attention because it had this very striking yellow book or orange book, sorry, was called Hunter the Reckoning. Oh, yeah. And this game I love. And my friend Darla, bless her heart, sent me a lot of the source books I was missing within the last year for this line. And I got into it because there was a game store that was going out of business in uh, Mississauga, Ontario in the 90s. And I had probably a hundred bucks to my name because I grew up poor and my parents, my grandparents idea of a allowance in those days was, oh, here's 10 bucks. That'll last you the week. Yeah. So I'd saved up about a hundred dollars and they were blowing out their entire line of Hunter the Reckoning books for about five to $10 a piece. So I grabbed as many as I could get my hands on. And that's what got me interested more so in the world of darkness. Vampire hooked me, but it was Hunter that made me more interested in that world. For those of you that don't know, Hunter the Reckoning is sort of the human response because every other creature in the world of darkness they're either vampires or they're ghosts or they're demons. They're something supernaturally powered. But people, ordinary people, they can be affected by the delirium. They can be, uh, when a vampire bites them, they can have their wounds uh, sealed by the vampire, just kind of licks the wounds and they go away. And they forget that it ever happened. In Hunter, the messengers, which I don't think they ever describe who they are, have decided enough's enough. It's time for humanity to fight back. And there are different character types and classes that they're called the imbued and the imbued might be um, an Avenger, for example. And I don't mean to sound like cap, like captain America, but your, your person, you would become awakened or imbued with power because you saw one of these supernatural creatures. And at that moment you decided to act and you might see on a billboard or on your cell phone screen, Innocents are being attacked. What are you going to do? Do you stand and avenge them or do you let something happen? And that's your imbuing. If you choose to act, you get supernatural abilities. If you don't, you become painfully aware of what's going on. But any chance you had to grab hold of that power is gone. It's also worth noting that um, 
even with these supernatural powers, the hunters are kind of very bottom of the kind of power totem pole. Yeah, they're very weak. Yeah, like, as Skyblaze says, you are not exactly, if you take on a guru in its full war form, it's not going to end well for you. You're probably going to end up splattered like a paint can. Yeah, you will be chunky salsa. Yeah, so it's basically you and your friends choosing to fight back. And I always love the idea of, say, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, of having people fight back. Ordinary people fight back against the darkness. And in where and in World of Darkness, there are people that are hedge mages, there are psychics, and with the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sure, there aren't mages, which are technically people, but they're still manipulating stuff that they shouldn't. Hunters are just everyday people you'd pass on the bus. And they ha- One thing I really liked about it, because they really embraced this in the early um, world building stuff, was something called Hunter Net. Basically, old school Usenet groups and new and news groups. For those of you who are really young, news groups used to be think of them as like mini Facebook groups that you had to use email to post in. And at the time, a lot of these news groups would be really scummy, and you would see a lot of uh, not nice things. Like we're talking some real dark web shit on there but you'd also find more boring ones like hey here's a news group dedicated to i don't know gardening but here's one dedicated to garfield or whatever um but there was one secret group in the world of darkness meta that was called hunter.net and there would be meta characters from that universe who would post like hey this is hunter zero one did you hear what happened in seattle did you hear what happened to Warlock 45? They haven't they haven't checked in in a couple of days. What's kind of going on? And I always thought that was really, really, really interesting how humanity finally had a chance to fight back and we were using technology and weapons to fight back against these creatures. And that really got my attention. In the World of Darkness, there was even a source book printed called The Time of Judgment because certain lines didn't get their metaplots fully resolved. Like there was a game based on being mummies i think Mm -hmm. there was one called the forsaken um the prothean or something like like there's all or the prometheans or something i don't know something weird um and it was cool um and then that christmas as well i got i think it was second or third edition maybe a little bit later call of cthulhu the game that needs no in production done by chaosium sandy peterson and it's lovecraftian horror usually set in the 1920s but there is a variant of that game i didn't find out till many years later called delta green delta green technically updates the setting so after the insomnia raid of like 1922 where we 
bomb the hell out of the deep ones with King Dagon and Mother Hydra, or maybe I've got that reversed. Um, basically, the government's aware of Cthulhu Mythos threats. They train like black ops soldiers like, OK, so there's an interdimensional space thing and we need you to go kill it. You're probably going to die. So good luck. And basically it was like the X-Files with Uzis. Um, but you could have some really good adventures there because not everybody wants to role playing during the great depression. Although one thing I did notice and, uh, a few companies are doing this now, most notably, uh, Modifius, uh, is publishing a game called Achung Cthulhu, which happens during world war two and blends world war elements with Cthulhu mythos. Cause the Nazis were into the occult and whatnot. So what if, the what if Hitler got a hold of the Necronomicon or what if, you know, Mussolini had got on, got some of these ancient texts that could resurrect the dead or fortify soldiers or whatnot, stuff like that. And it's always like Nazi weird science uh, sort of thing. And I thought that was really fascinating too, because I never, again, at the time when I looked at Call of Cthulhu would thought of Cthulhu mythos elements entering in ordinary scenarios. I think in the book that I had, there were two starting scenarios. There was, I think the adventure was called dead man stomp where there's a trumpet given to a jazz player in 1920s, Louisiana, and he has lost his wife, but the trumpet was given to him by Narleth Hotep and it would raise the dead. So he goes to resurrect his wife. And as you can guess, shenanigans ensue. Um, and it was really cool. And then there was another adventure. I don't remember a whole lot about this one, but I think it was called The Thing in the House. And there's this abandoned house outside of Arkham, Arkham, Massachusetts, which is where this set is usually set, or most adventures. And it's a dimensional shambler or an invisible stock, something like that. I can't remember precisely what the creature is. And it keeps murdering people in this house because there's an open gateway there. But you have to use a ritual to close it. But to do so, it's going to cost you some sanity, which in Call of Cthulhu is worth more than hit points realistically. Um, and it's... A very good introductory, uh, introductory uh, adventure. Although running horror games, I ran into this problem up until remarkably recently, like within the last five years. Um, running horror games for my friends was near impossible. Um, I did have one or two really good sessions of Vampire, where I basically blended the Cthulhu mythos because I read Cthulhu Punk at the time. And where I used to live in a little place called Owen Sound, Ontario, I had it so a great old one was sleeping at the bottom of the lake under the water and under the rock. And it had just gone undiscovered for so many years because, you know, magic and whatnot. And to stop them, it would have required the death of an innocent. And my players, and I guess... This is why they tell you folks to be very mindful of what emotions you stir up at the table 
role playing should be fun. Let's get that out of the way. And emotional and role playing can be emotionally investing and very rewarding, but you don't want to poke trauma where you don't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe this was an early kind of learning on my behalf. I mean, now I know how to manipulate emotion and not be an asshole, but I was like 15 years old. So I didn't know any better. Um, and I just tried to run call of Cthulhu in high school. And I don't think I've ever told this story before. Um, man, I've been going for like 20 minutes. Um, and I had printed out all these telegrams inviting my investigators. Cause that's what they're called and call of Cthulhu and trying to get them to investigate this murder at like a train station or something. And there was something weird about it. The problem is my group didn't talk to each other as to who they were playing. So I had a private investigator. Okay, cool. I had a former world war one vet or world war two vet and a debutante who's just rich and had money, but could get places. And I just, the group fell apart after not even before the first session started. Um, and that was very discouraging. I've only ever run two successful call of Cthulhu games. One you can hear on terrible warriors um, that I ran, I don't know, probably about four years ago. Um, and when I ran uh, Ravenloft on Terrible Warriors as well, those are the two times I've successfully run horror and it's worked out pretty well for me. Um, but yeah, I've reviewed multiple horror games. Like right now, most recently, I've reviewed the Aliens Colonial Marines Operations Manual from Free League Publishing. Alien is a wonderful game for horror and it does some interesting mechanics but we'll talk about that a little bit later because i've been rambling on for nearly half an hour so skyblaze what is some of what are some of your experiences in tabletop or larping role playing when it comes to horror stuff uh similar to you i ran across um the world of darkness pretty early uh the first game that i was actually in uh, of that world was actually a mage game, and because of where I, I the the game was set in Sheffield where I lived, and this is when I was still a student, so it was actually the Student Role Playing Society that introduced me to it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are in, if you fancy being involved in role playing, and you have a a university near you, check if they've got a role playing society. Because quite a lot of the time, they've got like a library of books. And it's much cheaper than having to buy your own source books. <laughs> um, and because Sheffield is a... Uh, in in um, Mage, uh, the Ascension, uh, the kind of enemies are uh, a group called the Technocracy, who their aim is to kind of make everyone believe that magic and the supernatural don't exist. And so because of the way that reality works in that universe, that would mean if people believe it doesn't exist, it kind of stops existing. And the mages want to kind of reverse this and make everyone what they refer to as awaken and recognize that magic is 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 a force that exists. So Sheffield is very, very famous for being a steel producing industry. We have a lot of very old industrial buildings around the place. And there's one of them, which is the most cyberpunk looking building in the world. It's called Forge Masters. If you look it up on Google, 
it looks like something out of Blade Runner. And that place was the kind of technocracy home base. Um, and uh, at one point, we the group I was in decided that we were going to uh, have a look at it and, you know, f- find out what's going on. Uh, and this went badly. <laughs> As most often things do in Mage. Yep. Uh, because there's a system called Paradox, wherein if you use magical powers and you either aren't subtle enough about it, because remember that uh, belief influences reality. So if you do something that is impossible and enough people see you do it, uh, the universe will punish you. And this happened to somebody in our group. And it turns out that uh, the technocracy is actually trapped the place and the traps exploded uh, because he he botched the dice roll oh he was then forbidden from rolling his own dice for the re- <laughs> for rest of the time no you are not permitted with these you are to do too much damage with them I was fine because I was playing a verbena mage who had the ability to heal themselves but everybody else was kind of very crispy uh one thing I did want to mention, though, was um, I've actually managed to sort of traumatize some of my tabletop players. This wasn't even a horror game. It was uh, a game series I ran called Kingdom Chaos, and it was a kind of mishmash of a whole bunch of uh, different game universes. And I had a, a theme I used for when the big bad was doing something nasty. Because I like to use music in the background of when I'm running sessions, which is why I prefer in-person gaming. Mm-hmm. And the theme I used was a track from the Dot Hack Sign anime, and it's called Aura Evil. And uh, to this day, and it's been more than 10 years now, my, the, the people who were playing in that game will kind of like freak out if that track plays for any reason at all. You're like, oh god, what's happening? <laughs> it's fine. It's just a, just a song. Uh, but yeah, what you're saying about um, Hunter the Reckoning? Uh, I was in a Hunter game as well, um, playing a only partially awakened mage, so didn't have full control over her abilities. And this vampire dude was trying to uh, channel all the energy from the ley lines into himself which would have been bad so my baby mage decided that she was going to tap the ley lines as well there are two ways there's two ways this could have gone phenomenal cosmic power or death luckily the dice were on my side (laughs) Um, but it was like you know they probably only have like five years to live after this. And it also bleached their hair and skin white, so they now look like an albino. Oh. So, which was fine, but yeah, interesting. Uh, horror, I think, is one of the hardest tabletop games to get right um, because so much of it relies on atmosphere. And it's very difficult to get the atmosphere right if you're in like a brightly lit room. 
surrounded by like a couple of hundred people. Yeah. Like, when I, the first time I ran Call of Cthulhu, I did this during high school, during my lunch hour at noon hour on like a Thursday. Yeah, no, not exactly conducive to big scary monsters. Yeah. You really want kind of slightly dimmed lighting and candles, real or fake. And atmospheric music. That's my opinion on it anyway. Because, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, trying to do uh, World of Darkness games in the Students' Union of uh, University of Sheffield, which is incredibly brightly lit, and there's like 100 members of the role-playing society. Not exactly the right kind of atmosphere. I'll tell you a thing I do want to do, though. Um, there's a, uh, a game I really want to run. Um, and I, I've got this idea for a tabletop campaign with the storyline based on Fatal Frame. Oh, interesting. I really want to do that, but it's, it's the, the eternal problem of every tabletop GM. Managing to get enough people and their schedules to line up. Yeah, which is basically it's if you can make that happen, you have rolled a cosmic D20 and you got a nat 20 because this does not happen. The fact that people do it so often is literally cosmic math at work. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, like, hell, you and I can attest to this when we tried to put together uh, the tabletop campaign for yeah. Fools Who Ride. Getting that scheduling mostly due to me because I had because I do so much stuff with Twig, but with you in a different time zone, Cat in a different time zone, Billy in a different time zone, that was cosmic, cosmologically hard. Yep. In fact, would you like to know, I'm not going to do it now because I'm just going to tell you, do you want to know what I was going to do for season two of Fools Who Ride? Yeah, go on. Okay, cool. So I'm going to lay out the whole plot. Here we go. So it would happen about a year later. Uh, you're all living in the city of Cambridge. Lord Kill still has his son locked up because he's still nuts. But peace has more or less returned to the land. So about six months later, a bright fireball appears in the sky. Loud boom crash. It's a meteorite, right? Most people think, oh, wow, that happens every so often, even in the far-off lands of Faerun and D&D. Space still exists. So what happens is that meteorite was a meteorite. It was a crashed ship. So that ship happened to be holding xenomorph eggs. <laughs> so the kingdom of Ordo, one of its court mages decided, you know what? I'm going to make a grab for power because nobody knows that I have all these. So what he would do is he would raise a xenomorph queen who would then breed him eggs. He would then capture people, impregnate, impregnate them with face huggers, wipe their memories and send them home. Um, so basically the xenomorphs would then wipe out their enemies or it's a convenient assassin that they never see coming. So the PCs would be hired by the kingdom of Ordo saying, Hey, you know what? Our, our kingdoms have been at war long enough. It's time. Let's, let's stick a pin in this and be done with it. So the PCs would go to rescue um, this uh, person. Like 
another lord's daughter or something from this camp of bandits and the fight would go remarkably easy and two of the bandits would be dead from chest bursters you would never see like the big reveal wasn't going to happen yet so you would go you would escort this daughter home and then you would go you would go to return the daughter at home and the king or whoever would be like, okay, cool guys. Thank you very much. We want to extend our hospitality. We'll make sure you have a full escort back to Cambridge, but please enjoy the food. Enjoy the company. My home is now your home for the evening. Cool. Daughter dies in the middle of the night. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Assassin. That's what everybody thinks. So this place has a magical lockdown. Nothing goes in. Nothing goes out for 24 hours until reinforcements can be called in or the court mage drops the uh, spell. So over the course of 24 hours, a xenomorph, a drone, just a drone, maybe a warrior, because in the world of alien, aliens get bigger from what I understand by eating metal. What is everything in D&D made out of? So what happens when it starts eating magical metal? And there are... They're obviously not official, but there are some pretty good looking stats for warrior drones and Praetorians, which are larger drones that would guard a queen uh, in D&D if you look on some of the D&D wikis. So the PCs would slay this alien or it would escape and they'd be like, oh, my God, what the hell was that? And then I would leave a trail of breadcrumbs. And there's a new book that came out last year called Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. And because I never see anybody in D&D use the uh, environmental rules, I was going to bring you up to Icewind Dale, which is north of Baldur's Gate. And it's basically, and it's basically winter. It's always the Antarctic. And I was going to have you guys, you have to think about winter clothing. How are you going to move in this terrain? I was going to use levels of exhaustion and, I was going to have you come across the the court mage's camp where he's been sending out all these infected people and you'd come across a hive. And basically you have to do what Ripley does in Aliens and nuke the entire place from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. And I was going to introduce like more magical elements. So I was going to have a queen that had like runes drawn on her crest and sort of thing. So it's not like she could cast spells, but she would have maybe damage resistance or maybe at will could cast magic missile 
as a defensive action sort of thing. And that was going to be the big thing for that. And then at the end of it, I was going to have a lone warrior comes in. You don't get a good look at them because they're invisible. And then I was just going to play the predator clip. And that that was going to be the ending of the, of that particular session. So that's what season two was going to be. Now that I've told you, what do you think? Interesting. Um, yeah. The trick would have been stopping people from metagaming, I think. Yeah. Well, the fact that Cat has never seen the alien movies, and there are creatures in D&D that breed very close to the alien. Like, there's a creature called a slod, and they look, uh, when they're in their baby form, look remarkably like chestbursters. Mm. And in Icewind Dale, they actually tell you straight out in Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, when slods are born, they burst out of people's chests. So if you rolled a nature or an arcana check, like, yeah, this looks like a slod. Weird. And that's how I would have kind of played it up, up until, you you know, the six foot creature with metal teeth and big <laughs> tubules coming out of its back. Yeah. I'll admit it would have been fun to see Gonzo talk his way out of this one. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> sorry, pal. You're not going to do well against acid for blood. But yeah, I wanted to do that because I thought it would be really fun and interesting. And as I did with like Terrible Warriors for years, I'm known as the crossover guy. I crossed over aliens with Star Wars and the Star Destroyer falling into a brown dwarf. You know what I was saying about Kingdom Chaos? The -hmm. second game in that series was um, a bunch of video game characters in the reboot universe Mm -hmm. with elements of Tron.hack interesting yes when i was playing uh regularly with terrible warriors we had a game our the guy who runs d20 live uh his name is big mike you should check him out on uh youtube he also does a bunch of like uh twitch stuff too he did what we called video game um expendables and the players who who we all were could pick any character we wanted from any universe and I think we were fighting against Mega Man or Samus Aran was the destroyer. Like something had corrupted them. Uh, and one, one I, of the player characters in Kingdom Chaos was Samus Aran. I, I picked Commander Shepard as the femme shop because when we started Terrible Warriors back in 2012, I had just finished Mass Effect 3 and I was still on that hype train. And uh, yeah, I remember shoving a shotgun in somebody's mouth and I was like, eat this um it was ridiculous but yeah i mean with like horror role playing you're right getting the atmosphere is so right and as a game master i find the challenges are often picking the right words and how you describe a scene like one thing i i did notice when we were playing um fools who ride last year is when I described the bodies that were in the uh, the crypt that this dead god had uh, kind of desecrated, and you had to hide among them. And I'm thinking, because I know I got an unnerving reaction out of Cat. Mm. And it's all about... This is where physical body language plays a very big part into it, because I, much like you, I prefer in-person. 
but because of, you know, COVID and now that I'm handicapped, it's a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. But when you're a game master and you're playing in person, you can watch people's body language. You can watch their tells. And if you're a good student of human nature, I don't consider this evil, maybe lawful evil. Um, Watch their body language. And if you can play to, if you can emotionally play with them manipulate is too strong a word because you're not doing this with evil intent eliciting a response exactly that's what you want you want to be like a good filmmaker and provoke a response and you're right it's hard to do when you're in a room full of people it's brightly lit it's noon hell they're probably playing salsa music or something stupid um it's just it it's hard and doing it in tabletop can be difficult doing it in larp in my experience has been downright impossible and allow me to tell you. So once upon a time, a long time ago in a town that was very, very stupid and still far away. Thank Christ for that. A place called Owen sound. I used to play in a vampire, the masquerade LARP allow you to laugh now. Um, and it was run by the most, how would I describe this storyteller? And I use that term remarkably loosely. Um, he would metagame out the ass. Basically, this guy had every single clan book, every single book for every single line, knew every single relationship across the board, which is fine. If you want to be a well-informed storyteller, that's cool. I love that you know the lore until you use it against the players intentionally. And it got to the point where there was one time, I remember this incident remarkably clearly, he called me in the middle of the work day. And at that time I was uh, volunteering my time for a local um, kind of television station and it was my day off. And I just remember I'm, I, I'm tired. I just want to sleep today. I've been at the hockey rink more often than what I want to be or city hall or something stupid. And he calls me and says, Hey Mike, what is your character doing right now? I don't know. Not existing. Um, and it was, I'm glad they called the checkup on downtime because in certain D and D games and other role playing games, there is a system designed for downtime. Like your character mm -hmm. isn't just sitting around with a thumb up their butt. Uh, it's basically how you would earn money. Are you maintaining a family? Like, what are you doing? Cause your character isn't just murder hobo. Um, and I just found this very, very, very odd, but I remember he would give his wife who played with us, who was a remarkable, remarkable human being. Um, she was given the power of celerity and in, in vampire terms, basically Oof. supernaturally fast, but she got it at the stupidest highest level possible. So she could agent Smith dodge everything. Um, and she could punch you through basically reality if she wanted to. And it just got so dumb. I remember one specific, one specific point, the, Seneschal, who's basically like the second in charge above the or below the prince of the city. There's a whole bureaucracy to vampire. I'll explain that sometime. Um, basically, so the second in charge somehow, and I'm going to repeat this word for word because it's always stuck with me, has a nuclear submarine in the West Edmonton Mall. Allow what? that to sink in for a moment. That was armed, by the way. With nukes. What? Yeah. So there was that. 
So one of my first experiences with this, I just come into this group of friends and I had known the wife since high school and another guy I used to be friends with decided, Hey, this looks like fun. We used to play D and D in high school. It's something for us to do on Saturday nights. We'll meet at this place in Owen sound. We'll dress up for us. It just meant let's dress in black and, that's it. That's the extent of our LARPing abilities. Some people came in full face paint. His name was Ollie a few times, and unfortunately he's passed away, so um, creator, rest his soul. And some other people. But the storyteller and his wife, we come to the game, and it starts out okay, but I'm starting a new character. So my background at the time was I was a I can't remember what the term is for a person who's from the Guru who hasn't turned kin. I, I was kinfolk because I really mm-hmm. was leaning into my native heritage. Even back then, I kind of knew that I was Ojibwe. I was from the local reservation, Cape Croker, because our game took place in Owen Sound. So I'm thinking, cool, I'm kinfolk to the guru, but I've been turned into a vampire so I can play, you know, vampire. So I'm considered an outcast and should be destroyed on sight. So fortunately, my GM or my storyteller at the time gave me a story that night where the guru were coming to Owen Sound to hunt for me. And that was it. They were going to protect me under the prince. And then the story somehow got Shanghai'd from me. It got stolen right out from under me. And my character survived, but I had nothing to do in the city since that. And when you go to play every Saturday night from like, Basically, once it got dark around 8 or 9 p.m. during the summer until about 2 or 3 in the morning where we'd go to uh, breakfast afterwards at a local kind of diner, you know, you expect something to happen. And it just the storylines just kept getting more and more ridiculous. And it just more or less ended up people hanging out, dressing in black, smoking cigarettes and looking cool. Uh, I'll even admit one time I even brought my Highlander katana because I thought I was cool. <laughs> yeah, don't bring real weapons to a LARP ever. You will get the cops called. Um, that never happened to me, but word of warning, folks, especially in this 2021 world, you don't know. Um, and it was just LARPing really turned me off. I even went to a LARP in Toronto. I visited an old girlfriend of mine just to kind of hang out for a weekend because we hadn't seen each other in a while. And I went to the Toronto game and that's where I met my friend Darla for the first time. I knew them under a different name. And even in Toronto, I'm thinking, does every LARP suck or is it just me? Um, Because I remember the first time I got introduced to the idea of LARP, I never, no wait there. Okay. I first learned about LARP in two separate ways. And one of these stories I know I've never told. So in Star Wars, which is my first real love, really, Star Wars West End Games, second edition expanded and revised. It has the Falcon on the cover. In my opinion, it's the best Star Wars role-playing game ever printed. Fight me. Um, And... They talk about in the back of one of the adventure journals, Star Wars LARP, and they show people in like Hoth Trooper, Rebel Gear, fighting Stormtroopers. But they mention in the write-up, oh, this happens in a hotel hallway. And they expected you to rent out spaces or find spaces to play publicly where you would role play your characters. I'm thinking, that sounds really awesome. 
And then I can't remember how this came about. Probably on Usenet, to be honest with you. I found a local group that was doing live action role playing, but it was D&D style. And they had something called boffer weapons. And they're basically like swords covered in foam and shit. And uh, I got invited out to this thing at this campground. It was like the fall. So it was really starting to get cold. So me and my uh, friend Dave go there and immediately Skyblaze, do you remember the YouTube video very early on in the old, old days in the long, long ago where this guy's going lightning bolt, lightning bolt. Mm -hmm. I experienced that. Oh boy. But it was weirder than that. Um, So I'm playing as an NPC because I haven't earned the right to be a PC yet. Okay. Strike one. Um, And I'm playing a skeleton and, I've been watching a lot of Highlander, the series at the time. So I thought I'd fucking dug him a cloud. I'm going to kick your ass. There could be only one. Um, and we're expected to fight these PCs and I'm just beating this PC up with a sword. And he's like, stop hitting so hard. Don't be so good. And I'm like, okay, well, do you want to challenge or not? Um, okay. So we do that for an afternoon. I get pelted with bird seed for a few hours. And I look at my friend, Dave, I'm like, Dave, this is really fucking stupid. Do we have to stay? He's like, yeah, we did pay for the weekend. So our dinner that night was a cold can of zoodles. So we get tucked into this campgrounds. Um, I, I guess it used to be the mess hall or something. So all the tables are gone. It's like a big um, kind of barracks. So we get on our cots, we get on our sleeping bags and we go to sleep for the night. I forgot where I was. So I woke up in the morning and I'm like, where the fuck am I? And I, <laughs> and I woke up with a start and I think I broke the cot. Cause I looked at Dave I'm like, dude, where the fuck am I? Um, so that was fun. Maybe a portent of mental illness. Who knows? Um, and we left that morning. We're like, okay guys, been fun. See you later. Fuck off. Um, and that was, most of my LARPing experience, that was the beginning of my LARPing experience. I guess I shouldn't have expected too as, much as LARPing from it, goes. That's considered. that's actually really um, terrible. I know can a lot. We talk about Skyblaze. Have you ever LARPed? Uh, I haven't, but I know a lot of friends of mine who have. And based on what they've told me, that was a really, really bad LARP. Uh, they're usually much better organized and uh, in LARP here so most of the lop systems here there's a lot of crossover between um what we refer to as hema the the uh, historical european martial arts people and reenactment people and larpers there's a lot of like, the venn diagram is practically a circle for those three groups so you do get some pe- quite a lot of people who actually do know how fighting works really and if you try and dick about then you will get your ass kicked um and yeah like stop hitting so hard yeah okay pull your blows a bit but that's not that's not the sort of behavior i would expect from most experienced larpers from what i understand yeah it's just something that i don't get like i think larping is the hardest thing to get right um i don't know have you ever seen that documentary world of darkness no 
Okay, so there's a documentary that came out, like, I guess within the last 10 years anyway, and it talks about White Wolf and their founding, their history, and unfortunately one of their founders has uh, passed away a couple of years ago. And they go to New Orleans, and you see the extent of the costumes and the experience that people go to, or the lengths people go to, rather, to create an epic LARP experience. And I always wanted that. And especially now, because you and I have been the multiple conventions. We've seen the astounding skills that come out of the cosplay co- community. Mm-hmm. And you think of people, and I'm going to use this probably a bad example, uh, but the star Wars community has the five Oh first, which is like screen accurate costuming from anything from stormtroopers to imperial officers all the way down to the lowest ranking uh kind of rebel soldier and can you imagine for a weekend getting like a hotel that you can dress up a little bit or maybe have a few of the big conference areas and role playing with like real stormtroopers or like getting like orders from like a girl who looks like Leia with the hair all done up. Do you know how much fun that would be if you could immerse yourself? And that's something that horror role playing, for example, more specifically, I think is something very, very inspired is horror role playing. If you get the right people, the right storyteller, the right environment, you can really immerse yourself in it. And that's probably why I kept role-playing for so long, not necessarily in horror role-playing because I wanted that sense of immersion that I thought these games could bring to life is like you, you've played mage. I've played uh, vampire and I've played a little bit of hunter. And I thought those worlds were really neat. And there's a cool sense of immersion there with golf Cthulhu. When I ran it, I genuinely disturbed my players the, the second time. And I did it on terrible warriors, maybe didn't handle the finale as well as I would have liked, but it worked and I got people emotionally invested. And I think that's, I don't know to me, that's the draw of horror role playing is that you can just, you can do it without having to do gross out humor or not mm. gross out humor, gross out gore, because part of the horror movie is the gore is the reveal and that's the punchline, but it's everything leading up to it is like telling a joke. And if you can hook people with the right story, the right emotions, the right verbs. And as you mentioned, using atmosphere, using music and other, other senses, you can really draw people in and really elicit the right response and that's fear and it's joy. One good example I, I I can think of this, and I guess we'll begin to kind of wrap up here, is I was playing Terrible Warriors a number of years ago, and I was game mastering a scene in Ravenloft, and I decided to do a riff on Evil Dead. So they come across this cabin, and it's the safest place in the woods, and they need a place to hole up for the night. And they can hear laughter. They can hear like footsteps running all around the cabin. They don't know what it is. And they really start to freak out. And I say, hey, you come across a cellar. Do you want to go check it out? And, you know, don't go in the cellar. That's never going to end well for you. So guess where they went. Um, They're like, okay, guys, we're ready. And just like in Ghostbuster, get her, Ray. And they go in the hole. 
it's a family of weasels. <laughs> and my players are like, oh, thank God. We thought it was Cthulhu. <laughs> I'm just like, nope, weasels. They just wanted some food. Um, so my players fed the weasels and they made friends. And then it ended terribly. Um, but yeah, like there's just something about horror role playing. If, if you can do it right, it's really fun. It's rewarding. And with games like Alien, if you know the lore, you can do it like Alien, which is the the one of the best haunted house movies ever. It just happens to be in space. We've seen video games do it with like Dead Space and stuff like that. Though that leans a little more into the gore. I've I've seen. Oh well, I've, I've heard of uh, a friend of mine was doing a Warhammer 40k Dark Heresy campaign that was based on Event Horizon, mm-hmm. and that I imagine that worked very very well. Yeah, like there are tons of places to draw inspiration for horror uh, kind of role playing. Some of the game systems I wanted to mention, there's one that's based on, there are two of them that I can think that are based specifically on zombies. There is one called All Flesh Must Be Eaten. Yep. Which is very cool. I like its system a lot. Uh, There's another one done by Palladium called Dead Rain. And it's pretty well supported. I actually have a full set of books signed by Kevin Sambita for whatever that counts for. Um, which I, I thought the the idea behind their zombies was very cool. The fact that their zombies, they are walking corpses, but they're picking up on your psychic energy. So if you're around, like it doesn't matter whether, whether you're quiet or whatever they'll find you one way or another. If not, they know you're there. And I found that remarkably interesting. And the books are very, very cool just to read from a lore uh, perspective. Even Rifts itself has a number of horror-themed books for some of the different uh, locations and factions. There's like, I think Africa Sourcebook has like a zombie nation or something. Um, Trying to think of other good horror role-playing. Uh, don't rest your head if you've never come across that one. Mm-hmm. Um, which is basically uh, there are horrifying things that are basically invisible to most people uh, unless you are in a state of extreme insomnia. And That's weird. That's yeah, cool. it's it's a very interesting um, game. Uh, and extremely effective if done with a with a with a good DM. There was uh, another I game. Will s- I will send you a link, actually. Okay. There's another game I've never played, but I see the potential in it really well. So it's a game. I think it's called Little Nightmares. Oh and yeah, it's, yeah. It's a game you play as children, and you're living their nightmares so i always had this idea and you can see where this is going already um nightmare on elm street like if you just age the kids up to like 14 bring them into high school at at the very least have them fight freddy or something like that um another game oh it was right on the tip of my tongue shit it's gonna drive me i was nuts. i was gonna mention the dresden files rpg yes. that's a lot of horror based stuff you can do in the dresden files which that's a series you folks should be reading or listening to i listened to the first book on audible i think it was i think it was narrated by james marsters actually um 
So that's quite good. Um, let's think of, uh, there's another one. It's done by free league publishing. The same guys that do alien it's called tales from the loop. And you might be thinking really, um, tales from the loop. If you play it like stranger things can be really cool. There's a source book called tales from the flood, which gives you more ideas, but it's basically, it's an alternate 1980s. There's this nuclear particle accelerator or something and weird shit happens. So it's kind of like that, but there's also fallout style um, robots and stuff, but things like the Commodore 64 and the Nintendo also exist at the same time, but there might be like protectotrons like from fallout walking around at, at the same time. And the, that game also has a mechanic where you never die. So your kids truly never die. And I always found that really interesting. If you put them in peril, but don't kill them, that's interesting. Um, there is a Ghostbusters R- R- RPG. It was po- it was made by West End Games. It came out in the, the 1980s. It is ludicrously expensive. I got a box set a couple of years ago um, and I saved and scrimped for it. And you're going to, you're going to be shocked at this price, Skyblaze. I play. I think at the time I paid 160 pounds for it. Oof. Yeah. So I went all in, but the book, the box was in really good shape. The books were in even better shape. It even had the dice for it. So I'm like, and you know what? I've seen this come up once. I think I'm missing two source books and I've got the entire line for it. Um, but yeah, there was also a, another release when Ghostbusters 2 came out where they updated some of the rules. I think they gave you the slime blower and the game is still supported by certain uh, communities, I think on Reddit and just out there on, on the internet as a whole. Um, there are good horror role-playing games out there. You are not just limited to D&D. However, if you do dig that, Ravenloft is a really cool setting. I think even if you had the right setting or the right storyteller you could really play up dark sun to be scary um because the idea of dying of thirst and going nuts is something that's you know terrifying i've just remembered a thing okay there's a game called dread i think yeah nothing to do with judge dread but it uses one of the most interesting mechanics i've ever come across for a tabletop game okay Everything you want to do, all tasks you want to accomplish, are done by pulling blocks from a Jenga tower. I've heard of this, but I've called it, I've heard friends call it the Tower of Tear. Okay. Yeah. Um, the version I was ter- heard about in brief is you set up a Jenga tower and just tell a story. And when your player wants to make a risky decision, ask them to pull a block. Mm-hmm. And then you keep going until the tower goes. And uh, yeah, that's a really easy way to get people into role-playing. If you don't want to spend a thousand dollars or whatever on a bunch of books that you may never use, Jenga's like 10 bucks. Yeah. Um, so if you want to get someone into role-playing, say, hey, we're going to try something today and we're going to talk and we're going to play together. And then you just tell the story. And when they make a decision, like, Hey, I want to shoot the zombie, but I'm worried the shot's going to be heard. Okay. Pull a block. And if they pull the block and nothing happens, the shot goes off, you kill the zombie. Nobody heard it. Or if the tower goes, 
they heard the shot, they get swarmed the end. But it's it's a good idea to introduce people to role playing and the consequences of risky actions. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. So yeah, that's a real I'm really glad you brought that up. Um but yeah, there is just there's a lot of variety out there that you can do. You can introduce horror into anything like in star Wars, for example, there was literally a book called death troopers where I dealt with zombie stormtroopers. Um, Dr. Who has done uh, scary episodes. Oh, yeah, so Dr. Yeah. So Dr. Who adventures in time and space from cubicle seven in the multiple doctor source books. There are tons of scary bad guys you can pick and choose or just write your own. Um, Alien by Free League Publishing. Again, if you want to just adapt your own story, you can do that. Um, Vampire the Masquerade is now in its fifth edition. I don't much care for it. It's a fine system, but I'm just... Eh. Although, I think through uh, Onyx Press, you can get the 20th anniversary editions of most of the old World of Darkness game lines. Uh, there was a refresh a couple years ago where there was vampire the requiem werewolf the forsaken i, I wasn't a fan of the Neither new world I. of darkness well the it lost that... it lost a lot of the flavor and the, the lore that made it interesting yeah plus the game system i always thought sucked because you needed the main world of darkness source book before you could use everything else mm. so it was very modular which is cool i guess but it felt like a cash grab and i think even in the world of darkness documentary they like talk about that um but yeah there's tons of horror uh kind of video games too i mean mean, obviously resident evil dead space even world war z uh aftermath which i reviewed a couple weeks ago um there's tons of good stuff out there this year had resident evil village which which is fantastic um so there isn't a lot out there that won't sate your appetite in some way and i hope we've given you kind of a fun overview of tabletop rpgs i guess if i had to recommend one game to introduce i'm trying to think of this guy blaze let's pick two games just two i pick one and you pick one if you really wanted to get someone into horror role-playing which one would you recommend first that doesn't seem overwhelming is pretty easy be pretty easy that isn't dread for example mm. Probably Dresden Files, actually. Okay, so it requires a little bit of a little bit of buy into the world, but it's something you'll acclimatize to remarkably fast. Yeah, there's also it's not a lot of kind of you're not throwing numbers at somebody because it's very kind of cinematic and very story based. Mm-hmm. So that kind of like will ease people into that. Um, it's one of the off-putting things for me about D&D, because I have dyscalculus, so I have trouble with numbers. Mm-hmm. One of the off-putting things about things like D&D or um, a, a GURPS a bit, but you know, some of the older systems with like the stat blocks, which went on for pages and pages and pages. Yep. It's like, it's a bit scary. So if you give people, if you give people a story, then, and say, you know, the character sheet is basically you telling your character's backstory. And I think that's a lot easier to deal with. I think for my recommendations, I'm going to kind of cheat. I'm going to recommend one that's more narrative based. One, if you want a little bit more crunch for narrative based, I'm going to recommend tales from the loop slash tales from the flood 
from Free League Publishing. And the main reason I'm recommending that, as you just described, it's more narrative-based. Plus, if your players don't necessarily read the book when it comes to game mastering settings, you don't have to use the... You don't have to use the default setting, which sets the game in Sweden. You can set it anywhere realistically and just move the particle accelerator to, I don't know, Welland, Ontario or Regina, Saskatchewan, or even, I don't know, Boulder, Colorado or something. You can do it anywhere and just introduce weird elements. And if you're very much into that Stranger Things vibe, you can tell a story And if your players think they're in danger, you can do it as long as you weave the right tale. And it's not numbers heavy. Numbers don't come up very often. Plus, everyone's digging that retro vibe right now anyway. So Mm. use the tools you got. The other one I would recommend, and I'm basing this mostly off the success of Lovecraft Country, is Call of Cthulhu. Yes, it is a little numbers heavy, but... Almost anybody you're playing with probably knows who Cthulhu is, but they're not going to know who Giyanki is or Ebon, or they may have heard of the Necronomicon because of Evil Dead, but it's a setting, it's it's a game that you can go retro to Victorian era, so Cthulhu by Gaslight, you can do the 1920s, which is typically the typically the default setting for it and set it during the depression, any of the world wars, just anything before 1950. Typically Uh, you could play Delta green variant, which moves it into the 1990s or the modern setting and do that. And you could slowly introduce the worlds of horror because not everything in Cthulhu is necessarily a unseen horror from beyond space and time. Like there are vampires in there but they're not the same vampires you and i would expect or some of these creatures are just that they're just creatures that are aliens like um the migo or the fungi from yugoth they want minerals they really don't care about humanity unless you get in their way and if you do you're going to end up as a brain in a case Mm. um so there are interesting ideas you can play with plus the fact that Your players don't know the lore, but they know the world they inhabit right now. You can introduce weirder elements. Hell, if you wanted to introduce a Resident Evil style storyline, what if some corporation right now is playing with powers they don't understand? And I know with all people having conspiracy theories seemingly coming out of nowhere in the headlines recently, you could really turn that on its head and kind of play with it um, a little a little bit like for example why are all the billionaires so interested in getting the space right now and proving that it works just an idea um or why is why are certain billionaires buying doomsday bunkers in the middle of texas stuff like that so ideas you can play with so those would be our recommendations i'm really sorry this was a lot of me just kind of rambling so i i I hope skyblaze you got something out of this (laughs) yeah it's been fun Yeah, so next time, folks, we're going to come back in November. I'm not sure what we're going to be talking about. It'll be something fun uh, anyway. So this has, once again, been a fun collaboration between uh, Nerve to the Third Power Skyblaze and obviously here on ThisWeekInGeek.net. This has been the B-side. So um, I guess before we take off, uh, we are starting to run into the holiday season. 
So uh, if you're out shopping and whatnot, be nice to everybody that you're coming across. They need to make a living just as much as you do. Don't be an asshole. Uh, get get your vaccine. Wear your mask. Be safe. Uh, be courteous. Be nice. So I guess let's kind of roll things out of here. So for the B-side, we have been. I've been Skyblaze. I've been Mike the Birdman saying be excellent to each other and happy Halloween guys. We'll catch you guys again next month, right here on this I just got a call from your friend, Kyle's mother. She said that this show is naughty and might make you a potty mouth. You've been listening to nerds of the third powers, the B side with Skyblaze and Birdman. If you have any questions or comments or suggestions for the show, please feel free to email us at Mike at this We look forward to hearing from you. Do I have to remind you that we are a network affiliate and we're in competition with other networks, not with a bunch of punks broadcasting out of a closet? This concludes our broadcast day.